Hi, my name is Kathy Harrelson. I am a part of our Women in the Word teaching team, and I'm excited to get to be here to talk about my favorite story in the New Testament. I will tell you why it's my favorite story later on, but I want to tell you about some of my other favorites. One of my favorite things to do is to watch sports, whether in person or on TV, and one of my favorite sports to watch is the NCAA basketball tournament. Some call it March Madness. It is, of course, in March when the best college basketball teams get together and play each other. Some of you may have filled in a bracket where you try to guess who is going to win. I've only done a bracket one year, and it's because I'm very competitive, so I wanted to win my bracket. But I also really love just watching the game. I want to cheer for my teams. I want to hear the stories. I want to cheer for the underdog. And if I'm trying to win my bracket and watch the game, it kind of stresses me out. So I just love to watch the game. And at the end of all the games, they play this song called One Shining Moment. And someone with all of the footage from all of the games pulls different moments from the the entire tournament. And they play this montage at the end. And we could sit here and watch it together and enjoy the montage. But if you've watched the whole tournament and you know the stories and you know what happened, the montage means a lot more. If you know that this coach had gone through this adversity with this team and yet they made it this far, or this player that had had this really hard life goes through all these things and he makes this basket and they win the game. If you know the story, then you understand these moments and why these moments matter And you're also kind of drawn in and a little bit transformed by them. We are going to talk about a moment. We'll get there later in the scriptures. But if we understand the story behind it, it will mean a whole lot more. And I think offer us some great insight and encouragement to ourselves by the time we get to that moment. So before we get to that moment, I'm going to talk to us about the story of Mary Magdalene. And I want you to get to know her. I want you to get to immerse in the story and kind of think a little bit about what her life may have been like and some of the emotions that she felt. There are actually quite a few Marys in the scriptures. And so for just tonight, if I mention a Mary, it's going to be Mary Magdalene. And if we talk about another Mary tonight, I'll make it real clear that we're talking about another Mary. So we are going to jump into the story of Mary Magdalene. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. And while you are turning there, I will tell you that I had heard of several people at Christ Chapel that really liked Mary Magdalene. So I made a point of talking to them about that. One of these people was one of our pastors, Doug Cecil. And so I invited myself to his office one day to find out what he loved about Mary Magdalene. And we talked about Mary Magdalene. We talked about a variety of things. Doug has actually led multiple trips to Israel. And so we talked about the fact that Magdala, this city connected with Mary Magdalene, which is on the west side of the Sea of Galilee. Actually, archaeologists have just discovered and excavated it within the past decade. It's very interesting. You should Google it. We talked about that. We talked about the fact that some people in the secular culture may say that Jesus and Mary Magdalene were married or had a romantic relationship. They did not. Some people may say that she was a prostitute. She may have been a prostitute, but we don't know that from the scriptures that she was. So Doug and I talked about all of these things and what we loved about Mary Magdalene. 
But one of the key moments I'm going to remember was after he and I had done a little chit-chat just to start our conversation. I said, well, I'm here to talk about Mary Magdalene. What do you think? First thing he says is he looks at me and he says, well, she's one of the most powerful women in the New Testament. And she is, but she doesn't start there. Look with me in Luke 8 and verse 1. Soon afterward, he, meaning Jesus, went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him, and also some women who'd been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their means. Before Mary met Jesus, her life was miserable. She faced deeply, deeply agonizing and consuming pain because she suffered from seven demons. While we don't know what her exact experience was, we can learn from the scriptures some about what that was like and how miserable that was and would have likely been for her. Look on your verse sheet at Matthew 12, verse 22. Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, meaning Jesus, and Jesus healed him so that the man spoke and saw. I'm not by any means saying that most health ailments are the result of demons. They are not. But demons could bring physical ailments, and it's quite possible that Mary Magdalene experienced some. Look at the next verse on your verse sheet, Mark 9, starting in verse 17. I just want us to get a picture of what her life may have been like. And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. The physical, mental, and emotional toil that demons could cause. Again, I'm not implying that any physical, emotional, or mental toil we see now is the result of demons. But what I'm saying is, For Mary Magdalene, it would have caused her immense distress. It would have been miserable. And not only was it miserable in those ways, but it would have marred her relationships. It would have affected her ability to have healthy relationships with other people. And it would have marred her ability to have a healthy relationship with the one true God. Her life was hard. As we go through tonight, we're going to take different moments to perhaps stop and connect with Mary. And so I want to broaden our thinking just a tad because I have not had any demons. Many of you probably have not either. And so instead of us connecting with her just over the point that she had demons, I want us to remember that what we've learned is she had a really hard and painful life. And we all have hard and painful things in our lives. We may have walked through significant pain and trauma and difficulty. And we can connect with her because we can relate to that regardless of what caused ours. 
And what we know is that no pain, no suffering is too great for Jesus. No pain is too great for him. We can take it all, all of it to him. He is big enough, kind enough, able enough for all of it. In fact, look on your verse sheet at Matthew 4, verse 24. This is what Jesus can do with pain and suffering. Jesus' fame threat spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick. Those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, and those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. I'm not guaranteeing you that whatever pain and suffering you have is going to be healed on earth. It will be healed in heaven, but he may heal it here on earth. He has the power to do that. And even if he doesn't, he will be with you in it. Jesus found Mary Magdalene in the midst of great, great misery. And he gave her a full life. Can you imagine what it must have been like for Mary Magdalene to be healed from seven demons? To have that trauma replaced with freedom and with health? I couldn't help but think about John 10.10, which says, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, He has come that we may have life and have it abundantly. And she did. She was free from the pain and the suffering that the demons had brought to her. In this text, we also see that she travels with Jesus through his ministry along with some of the other disciples and some women, and envision this, Mary Magdalene, having been freed from the trauma she'd experienced, is walking with Jesus. She is getting a personal view of Jesus. She could see his power. She could see his compassion. She could see his wisdom. And and his life wasn't easy. She saw his difficulty as well. Think with me for a minute specifically what this must have been like for her. I don't know exactly where she was, but I want to tell you some of the things that happened in the rest of Luke chapter 8. She was likely there for some or all of them, or at least was witness to these types of things. First of all, in Luke 8, right after this, we hear Jesus teaching. He taught parables. She would have heard Jesus teach his wisdom. The parables here in Luke 8 were the parable of the sower and the call to bear fruit and the call to not hide your light under a jar. Can you imagine having been oppressed by demons and you are walking with and actually hearing Jesus teach? Not only that, in Luke chapter 8, we see Jesus' mother and brothers come and say, we want to see Jesus. And Jesus' response is this, "My my mothers and brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Can you imagine where Mary Magdalene was and now knowing I can be a part of the spiritual family of Jesus? We then see in Luke 8, miracles. Jesus calms the storm. He rebukes the waves and they obey. He heals a demon-possessed man, heals Jairus' daughter who had died, heals a woman who had been discharging blood for 12 years. She saw Jesus heal. She saw his compassion. She was there. One of the people I also heard 
that loved Mary Magdalene is Lynn Kitchens. And when I was talking to Lynn and we were just brainstorming about what her life may have been like, Lynn said this and it stuck with me. She said, you know, Kathy, we see so many times Jesus bringing women to himself. And she referred to another Mary, Martha's sister Mary, and how that Mary would come sit at Jesus's feet and learn from him. And she said, can you just imagine the possibility that after all the crowds are gone, Jesus invites Mary and maybe some of the others to sit at his feet and actually listen and talk to him. She got to experience a personal view of Jesus. To be honest, there's something I've studied this time, and I've loved Mary Magdalene for a long time, that I had never noticed until now. I had a wrong caricature of Mary. I had thought for a long time I had pictured her as somewhat lonely because I think about the seven demons, and then I think about part of what we're going to talk about later, which is the moment between just her and Jesus. And I had kind of pictured her as maybe a little lonely. And as I studied, I realized something this time. Almost every time she is mentioned in the New Testament, she is mentioned with other people. She is almost never by herself. She is with other disciples here, and she is with other women. She's experienced unhealthy relationships because she couldn't have them. And by faith, she is grafted into a healthy community of other people who love and walk with Jesus, other like-minded believers. This is who Mary is mentioned with in this text. And she's mentioned with other believers almost every time we see her. Let me tell you about just one of these people that she got to walk with, the types of friends and people Mary Magdalene was around. Let me tell you about Joanna. She was mentioned in this text, the wife of Cusa, Herod's household manager. That means Joanna's husband would have had a very significant, influential political role, likely socioeconomic resources. He was an important person. And while we wouldn't have heard of Joanna because of the prominence of her husband, people then likely would have known who Joanna was. Listen to what Rebecca McLaughlin says about Joanna. It says, Joanna's abandonment of court comforts to travel with a controversial rabbi, meaning Jesus, would have caused a stir. In fact, Joanna's decision to become a disciple of Jesus is nothing short of dangerous. As a member of Herod's court, Joanna takes a tremendous risk by leaving everything to follow Jesus. Mary Magdalene is walking around and spending time with other people, other women who also believed in Jesus. They had that in common. So often we look at external things. Likely some of the people they walked with and saw were different. Different ages, different socioeconomic status, different backgrounds, different families. But they had one thing, the most important thing in common. They had Jesus and they were walking with him. While we can experience relationships with other women who love Jesus, I have seen something similar, perhaps most profoundly, as I've gotten to lead a variety of women's mission trips to other countries. And somehow when you're at home, some of those external differences seem real important. But you get on the mission field outside your comfort zone serving, and you look over at the person next to you, and all of those things don't matter. What matters is they love Jesus, you're on mission, and here you go. In very real, profound, significant relationships develop when all you have in common is Jesus, and it is 
beautiful. These people, including Mary, had been invited in to a fulfilling purpose and a godly mission of service. She got to serve Jesus, perhaps providing for his physical needs like food. Perhaps she encouraged him, prayed for or with him, listened to him, enabled him to do the ministry he was doing. As we can put ourselves there from what we know of instances in the text, imagine she's there and there are crowds that have come to see Jesus and he is doing his ministry. She gets to watch the faces of people hearing Jesus teach for the first time. She gets to watch people hear his voice. Perhaps they had questions and she could maybe answer some of them. Someone's come who's hurting and needs healing. Perhaps she was the one that walked over and held their hand or wiped a tear. Perhaps she prayed with them. Perhaps after they had been healed, she celebrated with them, experienced the joy with him, played with their children. She got to be a part of a very significant, fulfilling ministry. We get to do ministry all kinds of places, in our homes, neighborhoods, workplaces. But think just for a minute about women in the Word. Perhaps you have served as someone as a greeter. You get to be a part of a ministry watching faces come in. Perhaps you've sat around the table, maybe today, you heard someone say something hard, and you comforted them or listened to them or said, I will pray for you. We get to be a part of a fulfilling life of ministry, paid or unpaid. Mary chose to embrace this opportunity. She chose to embrace the sacrifices, and there were some, and the goodness of life with Jesus, of walking with him. And we get to do the same. We can embrace the opportunity, the sacrifices, and the goodness that comes with walking with Jesus and partnering with other believers to serve him in a variety of ways. She had been the one physically, mentally, emotionally, and relationally experiencing turmoil and misery from demons. And she is given a joyful, free community of people and personal interactions with Jesus. Things, however, don't stay as pleasant as we would like for them to be. Mary Magdalene is there as Jesus is crucified. She's there as he's buried, and she's there at the tomb. I want to read in John chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, as we see a little bit about her grief, and then we're going to come and walk through it a little bit. She's at the empty tomb now, thinking Jesus has died, Again, John 20, starting in verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, 
Tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. She is heartbroken at the loss of Jesus. One of the reasons I first became enamored with Mary Magdalene was because I noticed, and and please be clear, Jesus is by far the most important person at the cross, the burial, the tomb, and the resurrection. By far. But do you know the name mentioned most other than Jesus? It's Mary Magdalene. And I thought it's interesting she was there and that the authors of the text choose to tell us she was there. Look on your verse seat at John 19, 25. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. She is at the cross. She observed the unimaginable horror and injustice of Jesus's torture, death, and burial. She is looking at his body. She is seeing the blood. She is watching his lungs slow. She is literally watching him die. Her friend, her savior, and this is horrific. Jesus is also experiencing the wrath of God for sin in a way that no one else had. And to be honest, I have no idea what that looks like. I don't know how horrible that was. And is there any part of her that knows? He's dying for my sin too. She is crushed and engulfed by the grief because she is there. And also, she is there with all these other people she loves, watching them experience the grief and the horror as well. So it is not just her own personal grief she is bearing. She is bearing the grief and pain of those she loves who are also watching him die. People handle grief differently. Were there some of her friends that that were silent, stoic, in shock? Were there some on the ground sobbing, begging for it to end? Were there some wailing? Were there some angry? It is not just the weight of her own grief she is bearing and the weight of her friend on the cross. She is bearing the crushing grief of those she loves around her who are experiencing significant grief as well. And then all of a sudden, she's there and he's gone. The one who had loved her like no one else ever had. The one who had done for her what no one else could. And she's breathing and he is not. And it is not just that there is an empty seat at the table. The entire floor has been destroyed. The life she has been living and the freedom she has gotten, the person that gave it to her is gone. And yet from the cross to the burial to the tomb, Mary stands with and serves Jesus in the midst of pain, both hers and his Where he goes, she goes. Look with me at Luke 27, 57 on your verse sheet. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it be given to him. And Joseph took the body 
and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he'd cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Here she is again. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. She's watching the body of her Savior and friend. He is not breathing. He is not smiling. He is not speaking. He is silent in every way. The grief, the confusion, the fear that she is experiencing. And yet a few days later, she goes back. Look on your verse sheet at Mark 16. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, she's mentioned again, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? As they were walking, were they, in addition to talking about how they were going to get in, were they quiet? Did they stop to wail at moments? Were they telling their favorite stories of Jesus? They were real people really walking to the tomb. And then as if the situation couldn't be worse, they get there and he is gone. And the confusion and distress of the empty tomb is exacerbated. In addition to everything that has happened, the stone has been rolled away, his body is not there, and she rushes to tell John and Peter, and then she comes back. Where Jesus is, she is. We see her commitment, her gratitude for who he was, her love, her devotion. She keeps showing up. She's weeping. She's grieving. The text has told us that. But in addition to her grief, she keeps taking the next step in following Jesus. That's what we get to do as well. When we grieve, and we will, we grieve, we weep. And what is the next step in following Jesus, and what does that look like? Because she has gone from a woman devastated by seven demons, a full life of a personal view of Jesus, of a group of believers, of a fullness of life. And here she is at the tomb in grief and sorrow and confusion, just begging the person she believes to be the gardener, where is this body? Just give it. But the story doesn't end there. Look with me in John 20, verses 16 through 18. Jesus, Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Arabic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. As Jesus spoke Mary's name, unimaginable joy destroyed and eliminates her gut-wrenching despair. She hears his voice. Pain is replaced with joy, confusion with awe. Hope overcomes the despair. 
And she gets not only his voice, but she gets him. She gets him. Jesus and Mary share a tender personal moment between beloved teacher and redeemed friend. How kind of Jesus to give her that moment. That loving, personal moment between the two of them. When Deb, who coordinates our teaching, first came to me and said, we're teaching on favorite stories in the New Testament. Which one do you want to think of? This very moment immediately came to my mind. And then I spent the next three weeks before I committed to a passage trying to convince myself of how I was definitely not going to teach this passage. For a variety of reasons, I will just share two. One, I was convinced I couldn't do it without sobbing through the whole thing, and that's not a good look for me. And it's not particularly helpful for any of you. And the second reason I thought, no way I'm picking that passage. It's because I knew I couldn't do it justice, and I can't. But I'll tell you why it's my favorite. Years ago, for a very long time, I struggled very significantly with OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, through a variety of symptoms that go along with it. All of the details don't matter, some of which were particularly hard for me, but I would just have these thoughts and images. I hadn't seen them, hadn't done anything to cause them. They would just come and play like nightmares in my head over and over again. I never knew when they were going to come or how long they were going to last. And that, mixed with the rest of it, made literally every moment that I was awake miserable. I would be out, you might see me, but I didn't have any peace for years. I got help from the best of the best. My doctors were the people that coordinated the Anxiety Disorders of America conference. They knew me and trusted me so well that they said, hey, will you go be in the green room? So TV news reporters, even Time Magazine, interviewed me about OCD, and yet very little seemed to make a difference for me. There was a season of which the images and the OCD was so hard, and again, I would be out and about, you wouldn't know, but I memorized the book of Philippians, a book of the Bible, in three weeks, not because I was terribly holy, but because I was that desperate, and I thought, I got to memorize scripture or I'm going to roll over and die. I didn't know what to do. And then for some reason, I don't know why, after a period of years, I began to get breaks. I began to get glimpses of freedom. I don't know why. But I remember one night, sitting beside my bed, with my Bible open to this passage, sobbing. Because I was tasting of a glimpse of the freedom that perhaps was a type of what Mary Magdalene had experienced. And I was getting a taste of who Jesus was in a way that I really didn't know if it would ever be possible. And I just sobbed. It's hard for me to describe those moments, as I'm guessing when you have your moments with Jesus it is. I heard this quote one time, and it stuck with me. It said, sometimes in prayer, we know what it is to be too happy to live. Sometimes I've had to ask Jesus to stay his hand, for love, glory, and joy were coming into my heart from him in waves too great to bear. There are moments when I taste of Jesus and it feels too much, too happy to live. Ephesians 3, I think verses 18 and 19 also come to my mind, that we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. 
Jesus is with us all the time. I don't know why some moments seem a little different than others. It's okay. But when we get those moments or when we have a moment with Jesus, just savor it. Choose that time with him and just savor it. The passage doesn't end there, though. Jesus calls Mary to the privilege of telling Jesus' grief-stricken spiritual family and the world that Jesus is alive. He says, hey, go tell them about the ascension. Tell them I'm going back to the Father. In John 16, just a few chapters before, Jesus had talked about the ascension, and he'd said this. He says, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for I do not go away. The helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. And Jesus sends Mary to tell them this. One of the reasons, one of the many reasons that I think the Bible is true is because if you were going to make up this story, you would not have made up that Jesus would have first appeared to a woman. That had, would not be what culturally would have happened. It would have been a male. Certainly, she wouldn't have been the one given such an important assignment. What is written here is very countercultural, and I think completely consistent with Jesus and with his character. And to be honest, if I'd have been Mary Magdalene, I wouldn't have wanted this moment to end. But I would have also known Jesus has asked me something. And to be honest, he's given me the privilege of going to my friends who we have been sobbing and weeping together. And I get to be the one that goes and says, I saw him. Isn't it the best thing when you get to give someone good news? Jesus didn't have to give her the gift of being the one that got to go in and tell them. And I'm sure there were plenty that didn't believe her and thought she was crazy or had been hallucinating, but I'm sure there's some who did. And I wonder as she leaves, if she's running, is she skipping? Is she looking back over her shoulder to catch one more final glimpse and when she arrives, I don't know, what does she do? Does she go to Mary, Jesus' mother? Does she grab her hand, wipe her tear, look in those eyes of despair and say, he's alive. I touched him. And do they grip in one of those hugs that words can't begin to explain? Or does she run to Joanna and does she scream, he's alive? And do they start dancing and singing? Does she go into a room where Peter and John are with the others and look at him and say, he's kind of surprised us again. <laughs> I've seen him. He's alive. She gets to be the one to watch her friends despair fade away into hope. And they dare to believe that he is alive. You know, we don't get to do things like that forever. There are things we don't do in heaven. We don't go comfort anyone. We don't wipe anyone's tears away for there's no grief. In heaven, we don't get to tell anyone Jesus is alive who doesn't already know he's alive because everybody knows he's alive. We don't get to share the gospel with people that don't know because everybody knows. We don't get to fix broken systems 
We don't get to walk into homes and families and workplaces and labor for restoration. We don't get to do that forever. We only do that here. And sometimes I think we want so badly to avoid the hard that we forget that this is a temporary assignment and we don't need to look for the easy way out. And we don't need to encourage our friends to the easy way out. We as women well-meaningly do that a lot. I'm not saying we always stay in the hard place. But Jesus calls us to take the hope of the resurrection into brokenness, and we will not do that forever. We get the joy. Sure, some are going to think we're crazy. Some aren't going to buy in. I get it. I get it. I'm not saying it's easy, and I'm not saying we always stay. But we get the assignment temporarily of telling people Jesus is alive and of taking the hope of all that Jesus is and the resurrection into brokenness. We get to enjoy telling others that Jesus is alive and sharing that hope. In heaven, we won't do that. There will be moments, lots of them, that we are with Jesus and it will be wonderful and it will be great. And he's with us even in the hard now. He's totally with us even in the hard now. You know, that song I told you about, that one shining moment song, um, there's a line in it, and it says, One shining moment, you knew you were alive. One shining moment, you knew you were alive. And it's a cheesy song about a basketball tournament. But we have Mary Magdalene, who Jesus had come in and found and rescued from demons, given a full life. She had walked through the pain, and she gave him a moment. One shining moment, she knew she was alive because he was alive. In Christ, beloved, you are alive because he is alive. Pray with me. Jesus, you're alive. And you and your kindness are present with each of us right now. You are loving and gracious and wonderful and majestic and so kind. And we get moments with you and we will get eternity in heaven with you. And we get a temporary opportunity to take that hope into places that are broken. Lord, I understand if Mary Magdalene didn't want to go, there's many moments that I don't want to. But I understand the assignment. And it's a privilege. And it's a joy. And it's hard. And you're with us. I pray we would take the opportunity to step into the brokenness. Because you are alive. You are worthy of it. It is a gift that we get to do it. And there are people that need the hope. There are people at our tables that need the help, people at our home, people in our workplaces, people in our neighborhoods that need the help. I pray we would be the women. Equip us to be those women. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.